0: JJ, you are back on Software Defined Talk, but today we're going to do something differently. We're going to hear your podcast. So what is the name of your podcast and what's it about?
1: Yeah, um, thanks for having us. Uh, It's not just me. It's also Paul Tchaikovsky and uh, Matt Broberg uh, and I. We've uh, usurped Drunken Retired from uh, Cote in his Cote Podcast Network where it's just uh, three tech nerds coming together talking about some tech stuff and cooking and food in general. Because if you didn't know, Tasty Tasty Meets Paul uh, absolutely loves his cooking, and he needed an outlet, and I wanted a podcast, so it just kind of came together.
0: So here we are. Tech, food, and I have to say a little bit of culture. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. And uh, where should people, if they want to subscribe, what's the name of the website?
1: Uh drunkenretired.com. Um we 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 are sticking with that name for the foreseeable future. We keep asking telling ourselves that we need to change it. Um but being that we've already gotten something established there, I am hesitant. Um just because, you know, that's the way branding is. If I've learned anything about being in the tech world, uh naming your company after a rather specific thing and people Google for it, at least this is pretty pretty easy to Google for.
0: Absolutely. And so they can go to the website. They can probably go right now in their favorite podcast player in the podcast player. They're hearing this in. they can probably just scroll back yep. and uh, hit subscribe. We'll make sure that the link is in the show notes. And so with that, JJ, they're about to hear it. So on with the show. Are we podcasting right now or are we talking about the podcast? Are we breaking the fifth wall? What's going on? I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit lost.
1: Folks, it's Friday, and we are drunk and retired. Hey, he made it. He, he did, didn't he?
0: Sitting in the lobby for five minutes, waiting for JJ to accept
1: him. That's true. Oh, By no. the way, here, there's the there's the link. Uh all right. Um, so, first thing first. There you go. Uh, uh, so I sent it to CZ. I didn't send it to you, bro, Rick. No love over there. Um, so uh, if you didn't know, um, Brandon has been advocating for our podcast on SDT. Have you been hearing that? No. What's STT? Yeah. Uh, now I did yeah. see
0: that. I did see you were uh, a guest star on uh, SDT.
1: Yeah. Software Defined yeah. Talk. Software Defined Talk. Yep. Oh, yeah, um, I know. I'm just messing with
0: <laughs> Well, I know um, you know, but maybe one of our tens of listeners might not have known.
1: Dozens. Dozens. Um, yeah, no, he, he's, he's been, um, well, we're, we're officially part of the Cote um, podcast network um if that that, isn't that why we've been doing this the whole time (laughs) exactly exactly but 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 the the upstream the upstream podcast is actually to actually acknowledge what what we've been doing which is really cool um but i figured it would be really fun to start this this podcast by um broberg you first then cz then me the two sentences to describe what we do on this podcast wouldn't that be neat? Like, just so we actually like. I know we've we've argued it back and forth many times. Wait, are we are we are we
0: podcasting right now, or are we talking about the podcast? Are we breaking the fifth wall? What's going
2: on? I'm I'm, I'm a little bit lost.
1: That's that's the like. Are we live? Uh, are we recording? This is
2: interdimensional chess, um, yeah. <laughs> and we're we're about about to get checkmated. Uh, sure, I'll go first. Um, I'd say first off, we Trojan horse a a vessel that Cote has curated for many years called Drunk and Retired. Um, While neither one of those titles apply to any of us during the show, uh, we use it as a vessel to talk about technical trends and mostly cooking.
1: Pretty damn good. Pretty damn good.
0: CZ. Look, uh, I mean, I think it's as simple as we are three white dudes and as soon as you have three white dudes in a conversation together, it just becomes a podcast naturally.
1: Damn it. That's like literally what I was going to say. Oh man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I really do just show up to, to talk to you guys about yeah, I mean, food once exactly, a week. And maybe exactly right. some tech, but uh, that, that, if yeah. we have to record it, I guess I'll do that too.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, this is my weekly check-in with two great friends of mine that, you know, we get to talk about what's going on in the industry and, I get to be yelled at about how I'm cooking things wrong. So. Oh, yeah, that's
2: a very important <laughs> element. I'm glad you brought up, JJ, because you really are like a heat sink for all my failure around cooking. <laughs> like, it just seems to redirect to you very organically. And that's also why I show up. It helps build my both my credibility and my confidence.
1: <laughs> hey hey, bro i'm just i'm just a teddy bear man all you gotta do is like latch on and i'll protect you from everything don't worry about it Uh, okay
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'm into it i'm into it right now thank you nice Nice.
1: cool well um on that note i heard you went to uh asian food market
2: oh yeah i am so i'm on a staycation right now uh hint the more hipster than usual look and actually (laughs) drinking a beer during this show um it is wonderful. And, uh, but that's a different subject. Uh, the main thing I, I gave myself to do food wise this week, I just wanted to play around with ramen recipes that I've seen on the internet and like actually give it some attention for a few days and see if I could, you know, figure out something that could be a go to um, meal wise. And I, you know, to, to supply up, like you got to go to the, the Asian grocery store. And it's uh, called Shanghai Groceries. Wonderful place, and a part of town I've never been in. Um, that's not the bougie stuff is elsewhere that I normally frequent. And, and it was just awesome. Like they just have all the food I love, because all I love eating is like Korean and Vietnamese <laughs> and uh, Chinese and Japanese food. And lo and behold, if you go to this place, you can actually go get the ingredients for next to nothing, price wise, very reasonable prices. And, uh, you know, just with some Google Translate and a lot of Google searches to make sure you're getting the right can of something, you uh, end up with a bounty. So I, I came on with a, a wonderful, wonderful bounty of food.
0: So you, di- you didn't accidentally bring home the, uh, the whale flavored horse meat?
1: Or, or like I, well, all pockies, nothing but pockies. Boxes, I haven't boxes opened boxes. everything
2: up yet. <laughs> so I, I have no idea how much MSG I've had this week. I refuse to look in at the labels too closely. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I haven't eaten horse meat. But um those beans were suspiciously chewy. So I don't know if they're actually some form of gonad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it beats the hell out of me. <laughs> so, so there's a like the little chipmunk that- testicles.
0: Oh online Japanese grocer called Sugoi Mart, which is Sugoi is the Japanese word for delicious, I think. Sugoi. Um, Awesome. And one of the things they have on there is a can of whale-flavored horse meat. Um, Unfortunately, Kelly has said that I am under no circumstances allowed to order it, so I haven't had
2: it yet. (laughs) But is there a loophole of somebody ordering it and sending it to your home? Get uh, confirmed the, or denied. Let the record show that Paul's hands are in the air. He is neither <laughs> confirming or denying that possibility. Uh, yeah. Googled so did you? Did you, gra- right now. did
0: you grab any random things and were like surprised by them? Pleasantly, you or not? know. I
2: really. I tried to stick to with the plan. It was overwhelming enough to try to. I wrote down like three recipes. I, I was looking at one from the way of Brahmin. Another one from like uh, prickly pear. Uh, which is a food blog. My um, my friend is Chinese American, and she sent me a bunch of her stuff. She's like, "Oh, finally, you're getting into this shit." Uh, so I, I just kind of followed, uh, played the follow along, and I still forgot a couple things. But um, no, I ended up with just a ton of sauces and some powders uh, and some like Sichuan peppercorn, which was like the only thing I actually knew what that was beforehand in like the dried shiitakes, I didn't know you could buy such a big bag of dried shiitake mushrooms and just how many recipes call for them. And um, It really just feels
1: like the staple. Yeah, yeah, shiitake it's... mushrooms really is a staple of like that region's food, right? Am I, am I wrong on that? Like I see it everywhere. Paul, but you're the weird... authority figure on this yeah. podcast.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like it's the go-to like dried mushroom in a lot of Chinese, especially dishes. Mm-hmm um why is dried
2: mushroom so predominant a flavor profile
1: isn't it for well, protein I, I,
0: I think the drying of it is just the like preservation technique right okay so you can you see you can't package it in a giant bag and let it sit on a shelf for six months and it's still okay and edible mm-hmm. um but it also protein, it really right? when it dries out it really um uh, concentrates the umami flavors in it. i think uh shiitake's in general, are uh, pretty high in that kind of umami kind of flavor profile, uh, and then from there, like twenty minutes in hot water, and they're basically back to being plump little uh, mushrooms that you can like
2: so have in
0: your soup or whatever. And the other thing is the 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 water, the hot water that you soak it in, is now this like umami rich like tea slash broth that you can also use to flavor whatever it is you're cooking. Uh so it's just like turns a mushroom into a little flavor bomb.
2: And so JJ, JJ to you... answer your your question, I just looked up four dried shiitakes about fifteen grams, uh totals forty-four calories, eleven grams of carbs, two grams of fiber, and only one gram of protein. So I guess it's not like really? protein doesn't seem to be the big source. There's a ton of vitamins that I wouldn't mm. have thought. I didn't think you'd have vitamin B five in that or selenium or magnesia uh magnes and zinc like it has a bunch of like hmm. the metals that are good for your blood um so i'm i'm kind of blown away but i i just soaked them overnight with um some nigiri uh in, in a big pot and used that as the base for the first miso ramen i made and it was mm-hmm. just freaking phenomenal Yeah, like i couldn't believe it didn't suck because I, I didn't. I have no idea what I'm doing, but it was just so so flavorful. It, you really it, the first one I over salted like crazy, and then when I equaled it out, uh, it just tasted wonder- wonderful. Nice.
0: Now, when you were going through it, did you learn that like the difference in like when you're making ramen, you have like kind of the
2: broth and then you have the like the, ta- the, tari? the tari? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so I'm trying to I, the... can you elaborate? Uh, do you want to? give an intro for people because i'm still very noob
0: on this. yeah i mean i'm far from an expert but like you've got the broth which is like the base flavor so like a tonkotsu broth, the little which, package right which the little the little, the little the silver little package, package <laughs> that's right yeah. So, yeah, actually, yeah when you open up the one thing that's back. worth talking about is like in the west we have this obsession over like tonkotsu ramen as like the ramen yeah, yeah uh yeah. whereas like in japan it's like A minor player in in the ramens and so a lot of the ramen you get in japan is a lot lighter so it's a simpler like soy sauce based or miso based uh broth um Mm. it's and we've kind of almost fetishized the tonkotsu side of it and i think maybe because it's such a um like such a strong unique uh like flavor and it's
2: thick and it's i guess you know that's also the pork i mean that's the pork bone base broth right yeah exactly yeah. yeah so I mean what what's more American than like trying to fatten something up like, <laughs> and make more meat to be part of it yeah. and <laughs> so raw. you
0: have that yes yeah, so you have that broth right and you know it's either usually like like pork bones like tonkotsu or it's like from um dashi which is kind of the mm. um the soup base where it's um the shaved bonito flakes um seaweed And maybe some other kind of oceany kind of things. Uh, And so you sort of start with like a oceany like type thing. And then often you'll do that with like, maybe you'll have that with some like chicken bones and sort of make a like chicken bony broth with the dashi in the background. Um, And that's your broth basis, right? But you also have tare, which is, I think, just kind of a generic like word for like sauce in... Uh, Japanese because that's been
2: my impression. For when reading. you make
0: yakitori, yeah. you also have tare, which tare. is like the sauce you put, you like you dip the yakitori skewers in, uh, and I think that's where um, teriyaki comes from. The teri in part of teriyaki is is sauce, right?
2: It's and almost like the words mean something. Is God, barbecue so... right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, grill no. right? Um, does it relate to tamagotchi? No, now I'm off.
1: <laughs> no. <huh? laughs>
2: Um, and so the tare is basically like a,
0: a flavored like oil or similar that you put in towards the end mm. that kind of just like emphasizes or modifies the flavor a little bit, um, you know, as, as as kind of an additional source. And so that's where often you'll get like a like you'll see it with like a like a like a spicy ramen where they just add like a spicy tare at the end or uh, something like that nice and so, so you know any, any ramen like in japan at least no matter how basic you kind of have those two things you have the base and then you have the tare and even like the the instant ramen often you get like the flavor like sachet with like the powdered stuff which is the stock but you also often get like a little packet with like a flavored oil right and that's the tare right
2: huh how about you jj are you a uh, an asian food
1: frequenter uh, so um the one thing that I actually promised my, my wife I was going to do this last week or two weeks ago, um, but I never got around to it. So I need to think that you've inspired me to make sure this happens this weekend now. Um, I, we, we bought the um, Korean uh, grill barbecue thingy to sit on our, oh, our cool. table. So we start doing the Korean barbecue. Like, there's, a, there's a great place in Austin called Korea House that has been around since the dawn of time. Um, and that's, that's a very localized joke for Austinites there, thing. Um, and, uh, our kids love the, um, the Korean barbecue, um, on the table thing. And the last time I did it, um, we bought like the pre-made one that's like already seasoned for, or, um, sauce for you. And that was phenomenal. They had some really high end, not exactly Wagyu, but really high end, really beautifully marbled, um, strips of, uh, short ribs there. And I completely fucked up the sauce. Like it was a disaster. It was basically like putting like a cup of soy sauce in your mouth and like chewing on meat. It was, it was gross. So, um, I promised myself I would revisit this so I can get a better, season for it so when we decide to do it again we can get some really good flavors around it too so um that's that's kind of pretty cool
2: no i love it like you actually bought the setup so and with your kids that does sound really fun um i'd be i'd be down for that um yeah i I think there's something really magical about like a bulgogi pork um, that's like grilled right in front of you I, i don't know if i'm gonna buy any setups but uh well, I'm have you it.
0: got have you got one of those portable like suitcase, propane grill things?
1: You know that, what? That's the no. thing I bought. And those things are cheap.
0: Yeah, so like twenty oh, really? bucks, and then yeah. you get like a little like flat, flattish metal thing that goes yeah. over the top. That's the grill bit. Um, and so, like for forty ish dollars, you basically get the setup. And those little propane burners are so useful. Like, there's so many times I need like an extra. Like heat source or something in the kitchen when I'm cooking a lot of stuff, and I just whack that on the bench, get it lit up, get something cooking. Uh, so I use really? mine like constantly.
1: Huh. Yeah. Don't forget in these end times that are coming very soon, we're all going to need ways to get heat to cook food, and it's in a little carrying case so you can take it with you when you're running away from the zombies.
2: But I, lo- I, I love I love the look. Bring my little Dude, just charcoal. <laughs> I mean, my charcoal setup is <laughs> very portable. It's it's called a portable kitchen. Uh, just so, to remind you what brand of grill I got. <laughs> so it's totally foolproof uh, for these moments. That's really cool. This actually brings me to another subject related. So making this miso uh, or making this ramen setup is the first time I've had to use all four burners at the same time to cook something. I am not like an indoor cooker very much I, I, or I'm like one pan um, focus kind of person. So it really strained my attention and timing to get all that going. So, Paul, you're saying you use an additional one on top of your stove on a regular basis? Like, how do you manage that? all that?
0: Uh, I mean, usually, if you're using that much stuff, like one of the two of the things are usually either like get like boiling soup for a stock or, um, you know, braising something. So rarely is there ever anything that like more than one thing that I have to pay like constant close attention to. Um, So I've never really found it to be a problem. Uh, And then if you've done your like Meson Plus properly, like everything is kind of organized around you. So you can kind of focus on like whatever it is, the current thing you have to do um, without kind of sweating uh, the details around you. Uh, And you can also kind of get a feel for like, smells and sounds and so like you can smell when like a piece of protein is getting to like a really good like cook on the maillard reaction you can like hear a sound difference when something's got, like reducing down and going from like boiling to frying and stuff like that so you can kind of start to get i mean i don't, certainly don't have like a chef's ability to uh like interpret a kitchen via sight and sound but uh certainly uh you can
1: i i I, I gotta say as as an audience member listening to what you just said you just flexed like so much on top of us right now it was you you use terms that i know only because i'm your friend i know what they mean but like missing in place or whatever. We, I can't even say it properly. That was, yeah. that was mission in place. Did you say? Yeah. That's actually so, kind of similar. But yeah, that was a uh, damn CZ. Damn. Yeah, there's nothing
2: subtle about it. Thank you for just calling it what it was. Like, yeah. If
0: I'm awesome, I'm awesome, right? I, mean, go. I, I got to own it. Yeah. You didn't ask um, for this so gift. Before we close out <laughs> this little section. Um, next time you go to the asian grocery store i want you to look for a couple of things yeah one is a can of it's called canned dace fish with salted black beans and like just about everyone in china has a can of this can or two of this stuff in their pantry for like when they just got to have a quick snack or they couldn't be bothered making lunch and the stuff is delicious Uh, and then the other thing is, and this might be harder to find at like a like a grocery store, unless it's a good Japanese one. But you can get uh, dashi stock in tea bags, and basically one tea bag gives you like half a liter or so, depending on the size of the tea bag, of like really good, rich dashi, uh, and that saves you from like having to get giant bags of like the Bonito flakes and the kombu, um, the katsubushi, all that sort of stuff, and you can kind of just you know use these. And a few tares I've made, you actually do like a cold brew of the dashi stock powder uh, in the tea bag, and it's so good. Mm, wild. So that's uh, that's a couple of things you should go for. Uh, the other thing, uh, Szechuan peppercorns. So there's red and there's green um green are a lot more aromatic hmm. and so i always like to like i usually use red as the flavor base but i always like to use a little bit of green to get like boost the like aroma off them um and so that's another good tip and you can also get uh like the szechuan pepper oil which like a drop of it goes a super long way as another way because so- some people don't like having like chunks of Szechuan peppercorn to sort of bite into and like have that side of their mouth go numb. So
2: (laughs) It uh, is such a weird feeling. Uh, If you've never had Szechuan peppercorns prepare for like the, what I thought pop rocks would be like growing (laughs) up. It's like, it actually fulfills that promise.
0: (laughs) So what I thought we could do is Matt, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the idea of doing a new segment where we kind of,
1: it Any was segment. like
0: yes, yes, no kind of thing. Um, so I came up with this idea, um, and uh, for lack of a better name, I'm going to call it "Buried the Meme." And basically, it's like it's like buried the lead, right? So uh, each week, one of us, if we if we if we like it, will come up with a like the title of a news article that they've read that is maybe misleading or doesn't really represent what's in there. <laughs> and the other two people just from the title have to have a guess at what the contents of the article is.
2: I've prepared for this. I'm so how excited. It, how
0: does this sound? <laughs> it so sounds thought, great. Are you JJ? Since, yeah. Since I uh, came up with it, I would uh, give it a first Show go. Sounds done. Please. And so the title of the article is locked in a, Locked in an insecure cage.
2: Docker.
1: Yeah, I was about to say. It's going to be like <laughs> some, some, some... Or do something. we have
2: to like work together? Um, yeah. However you want. Like maybe each of you
0: give like a... Well, Gigi, one where was or, your one or two going? sentences. This is what I think this article would, is about.
2: Locked in an insecure
1: cage. Um So I'm, I'm going to go immediately towards some, some containerization thing that allows for root access of of exporting like so you like it's an insecure cage so obviously there's holes in it but you're still stuck into this thing so broken broken oci like escalation or something to that point um like basically we find out that kubernetes really doesn't actually do what we say it does or something like that so something bad effect
2: yeah, I was going to say, I've heard like some background dunking on Kubernetes lately. So I was wondering if whatever implementation of the container standard in the upstream release has has some sort of known, you know, zero day or not so zero day anymore.
1: What is it? Cool. The um, right. C-I- so- CRI cry? Is that the one that CRI? we're doing now? Or yeah, the container
0: runtime initiative. Is that what it is? Yeah,
2: CRI.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's, to to play off of Broberg, maybe there's a zero day in that that we didn't know about and people have just been abusing the hell out of it.
2: I like this bounce off. I like this bounce. Good energy. Okay, Paul, tag in. Right. What happened?
1: Qui
0: is the company behind Cellmate Chastity Cage, a Bluetooth-enabled device that fits around the genitals and is controlled <laughs> via mobile app.
1: <laughs> so this is an article
0: on a website called The Internet of Dongs. <laughs>
2: I should have, <laughs> I should
1: have, I should have seen it. I, I should have, I should have expected it. Oh, I should have expected it. It's like, way and, lower brown than I expected. I'm a and, man,
2: and,
0: and this website is dedicated to
2: the art of dong.
0: Internet of things, things that probably shouldn't be a, it, on the internet, uh, and doing <laughs> uh, penetration testing of them.
1: Oh, uh, man. In,
0: in, in the in the digital sense. And by that, I don't mean your finger.
1: Oh Jesus! <laughs>
0: so yeah, right. basically, basically this device is insecure, and a hacker can actually uh, force it to lock and stay locked forever.
1: Wow!
2: I actually, choked on my beer. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so, so, so you realize you came in like?
2: Sorry, I did what? He, no damn it <laughs> you came in hot and you really fizzled out yeah <laughs> you so so, so we're like,
1: already at peak like we're already at peak like statement here like how 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 are we going to live up to this from now on like well yeah i've
2: got a you gotta one. start these things with a bang <laughs> needless to say <laughs> or, a, or a lock and key i guess
1: oh god never
2: to return um, well, I, I do have a really fun title that follows it. It is not nearly as much of a reveal. Uh, I'm going to skip the first word in it because it gives it away. Uh, are we going to double up? Oh, yeah. I want to do this too. Oh, all right. Yeah. I thought
0: we would do one a week, but we can, you know, no, a
2: couple of We got to like, give this a, right. a try. We're iterating. We're iterating. We're, I just want to, before jazz. you
0: take it, I, I want to give you the other title that I saw it listed when it had like other, other, other news yeah. agencies i'm not sure that the internet of dong's project is really a news agency but uh, <laughs> the other title that came up which made it a little bit more obvious but i love the title of is smart mail chastity smart mail chastity lock cock up
1: uh-huh. which i That's thought good. was a great
0: title That's but good. that didn't bury the lead nearly as much as as you wanted locked in an insecure cage
2: okay paul jj your turn to team up on this one Architecture, nihilism in minimalism clothes.
1: Wait, wait, what was the last word? Clothes? Ar-
2: clothes. Like clothes. architecture, like was... nihilism in minimalisms clothes.
0: I think clothes is the only word I understood in that entire thing.
1: <laughs> so is it like is it oh, the I three users of the it. world? No? Is that bad? Did I make right, a bad so was,
0: joke? Was it nihilistic? architectures sure. in minimalist clothes. clothes so like minimalist clothes I'm guessing is like yeah, uh, Mark Zuckerberg like I only wear like jeans and a black hoodie and that's all I ever wear Um, and I okay. guess that kind of fits the nihilism kind of side of things as well because it's kind of an maybe a nihilistic kind of way of being Maybe.
2: What, what's nihilism mean? So do you want... Fuck the, it, I'm done. Do you nothing want the matters. common definition of nihilism or do you nothing want the... Matters. Actually, that was a perfect. Nothing matters is actually the two-word definition oh, of nihilism. Okay. Just most matters. people okay. misappropriate that as a negative uh, right. connotation by default right. when Nietzsche, who introduced the idea, just thought of it as a freeing concept. So I, I'm a right. big fan of it in theory. But it's almost like a, like a
0: Buddhist-type concept then.
2: Yeah, when when played to the philosopher's intention is very right. kind of Buddhist, except it's followed by his idea of will to power, which is pretty much like right is might and dominate the world with your mind. So, oh, well, you know, hit or miss. I don't think I don't think <laughs> I don't think Buddha was into that. Okay, so we we've got this component parts. We know architecture. Probably talking about software because we allegedly we're going to talk about that on the show. Um, mm-hmm. So architecture nihilism. So. Nothing matters in minimalism's clothes. What do you think that describes as a technology architecture? So it is actually so a technology architecture.
1: Hey, hey! <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: Yes, Paul. It is It is a specific technology architecture. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Fair. I, you give it a good oh, look. JJ, any on. guesses?
0: Oh, okay. I thought you were actually talking about like nihilist. Like architectural nihilism in clothing, like as in in like a brand of clothing. Oh, uh, but I realize now you mean like a wolf
2: in sheep's clothing. It's uh, yeah, it's play a play off of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Right.
0: Um, See, I was way off. I was
2: way off. I love it. Well, in that case, <laughs> it's like it's is the be gap something... getting
0: really dark? lately? <laughs> it's got to be like Kubernetes related because if you've seen any of the garbage that people try and do with Kubernetes and containers, it's clear that like nothing matters in the architecture of things. It all just gets thrown out the door and people do whatever nonsense thing they think will like get them a pay raise next, you know, cycle. Mm -hmm. So just like literally anything modern software is what you're (laughs) describing.
2: I'll say Kubernetes adjacent, good guess, uh, Paul. JJ, you get one guess based on that. Uh, What do you think architecturally, very common architecture we talk about that is... Minimalistic, and it uh, leads to architectural nihilism.
1: The, I, I got to go with a stab in the dark of flat networking, of like M one ninety two one sixty eight one whatever no, 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 slash twenty four. No, where no, no. don't great. Major.
2: guess? Great, great guess though.
1: Come I, on, he's I, he's, he's giving What's you
0: the, hints. He's talking about microservices.
2: Yeah, nailed it. Yeah, that, I mean it, that was a that was, that was super oh, obvious from your
1: Come on, I like I was I was in the mental of like. Not listening to him hints. Mental in my institution,
2: life. maybe. He doesn't listen to my words. I appreciate that say? about JJ. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah, so this was um, a, a really brilliant long read from uh, what's this, uh, from Vasco Figuerella um, called Microservices, Architecture, Nihilism, and Minimalism's Clothes. And just talking about the... In short, it's a it's a very thoughtful introduction to microservices from a skeptical point of view of what is its intended purpose, and then really trying to break down that like fundamentally what is it uh, what is it achieving and not achieving by choosing for something to be architecturally by definition quote unquote microservice from the beginning. To so, to spoil it a tiny bit, it just gets to a point where you're saying like. To build a sort of constraint around the size of the architecture be, uh, arbitrarily without solving a particular problem uh, is just fundamentally backwards, if not just really misguided. And the size and architectural layout will be based on far more than just you know, a term like microservices. Mm. Um, there's a lot of nuance to it that I'm skipping over because it's, it's pretty deep on DAG creation. Um, and how do you actually map out an architecture? But wait, I mean, wait, what do
1: you think? DAG,
2: uh, yeah, what was that uh, yeah, a DAG, uh, is a what? Uh, die, oh man, I don't remember. Something, something graph, oh, right? Directed acyclic graph, yeah, oh, Which is, okay, um, you know, a concept to talk about like uh, dependency management and got it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, exactly. Okay, I was like, I'm. I'm doing that part from memory but now I'm seeing the article. Yeah, it's the it's how you map dependencies across a structure, a logical structure. Um so DAGs kind of tell you whether like whether things depend on each other. And like oh uh, there's so much out there about how people make microservices that accidentally depend on each other. So mm-hmm. if one microservice is down, the whole system's down. So you really just made a very complex monolith. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and, and to that point, like there's so many times where monolith can be a very effective tool given the right ar- hardware um, and networking configuration. So I don't know, it's really interesting topic. What are you two experience on, a, so uh, on I was
0: a- gonna quickly mention that like that concept of the DAG and being aware of like all of your dependencies is super important if you're building things for other people to consume. Um, and, and there's lots of them. So I know the, I, I spend a lot of time, um, for better or worse, with folks that are members of the Spring community, uh, which is a uh, framework for Java, which is kind of the go-to framework for Java for enterprise devs. Uh, and they have, like, all these things that basically help you do your job. And so there's uh, libraries upon libraries upon libraries and they they at one point got into a bit of trouble where they had some weird dependencies where one thing depended on another thing, which depended back on the first thing, and sort of created like that cyclical uh, dependency. Okay. So they actually like build out their DAG and then check for cyclical dependencies across the entire um, set of tooling and frameworks. That's so cool. uh, to make sure that like nothing new is 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 brought in, and I think they have like two or three like legacy dependencies that they still haven't fully gotten rid of, but they're known so they can then work with them. Um, So I think that's a a good example where they're important. And while that's not exactly microservices, it is in that same vein of you have all these things that are separate, but can be super dependent on each other on the actual topic of microservices. One of the things I've, felt about microservices is they're often used as a way to reduce one person's incompetence to affect other things. Um, You know, often at large companies for better or worse, you get this feeling where um, they're trying to like bring everything down to the point where someone who is like at the like barely competent like place can still have an impact right so Are you, you, saying you, you you know how containerizing to
1: containerizing that person uh, jane or billy joe over there and putting them in a legal service like containerize them there was a joke there there's a joke there There's that's not a joke there
2: <laughs> where we're going we don't need jokes <laughs>
1: <laughs> so and and so
0: much much like um,
2: can you can you say that can maybe dig into what do you mean by incompetence? Because I, no, I no, So I'm trying to get, I think
0: there's that common thing of like at a large company, everyone's just a cog in the machine. And those cogs are like replaceable and interchangeable and don't have any expertise other than being round with notches that turn, right? And so in that way of fit, looking at things, then you start being like, well, if these are interchangeable, Um, if they're like, if they're all looking the same, none of them have like, you know, specific skill, like specific expertise or whatever. Mm. And therefore we need to uh, accommodate for that and build a framework in which you can kind of just plug someone in anywhere and have them be effective. Right. And so if you have a microservice, if you're thinking about things where, you know, I've I've heard people go to the point with, if a function has more than eight lines, it's too big right? There's, like, schools of thought that go that way. And, like, when that's the case, then, like, there's not a lot of expertise needed to maintain eight lines of code, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of breaking things down into manageable chunks, but maybe going way too far by assuming that, like, that's the maximum that people can deal with versus most people can actually hold a decent amount of like systems thinking in their brain. Like, yeah, okay. I think, I've, I think I probably got my point across.
2: I, I think, think so. So. I want to jump onto one point I really like in there. Like, so I was, I was poking at incompetence because I, I don't think people trying to do their job is like, no, they no, I, end up being I wasn't incompetent. saying
0: incompetent.
2: I was saying barely competent barely competent okay so that's more a function of like do you have the skills to do the job in front of you and i think that is a fair discrepancy yeah. to and, and i and i'm
0: also yeah. talking about and i maybe didn't make clear like people's assumptions not necessarily reality
2: i see okay well yeah i i really love the point you made about you know trying to you know really abstract individuals call them cogs you know Pay them in bands and shuffle them around as if that won't impact the production of a massively complex software system. Um, it, it's like when when people playing Conway's Law consider every, you know, every unit of person in an org interchangeable as if there, there's no domain-specific knowledge that needs to be shared somehow. Yeah, you, you can end up with some really messy stuff if the assumption is, well, we've we've adopted microservice. Microservices. So now every new software developer at level four should be able to produce a new microservice on team Z. You're like, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. There's so much context that you're uh, attempting to abstract uneffectively. Yeah. Um. In in a quick brief, Conway's laws just the <laughs> the production of systems uh, based on org charts is <laughs> the the short version of it. And if you're in an organization, really over. One person you'll end up experiencing it in no time just like why are we doing it this way oh this other team's doing it differently because we report to different people um it's not just a pejorative though there is some really interesting value to it but there, you, it if is you a go challenge
0: back and read the original papers yeah there's a lot of really interesting thoughtful stuff that we all gloss over when we use it as a like a perjurative to like laugh about some you know stupid company making bad software
1: yeah well, uh, can, can i can i ask yeah, this this, of course. this so obviously what, what y'all are describing band four can do x or do x on z project or whatever right the idea is that you should the idea is you should be able to take an engineer or developer or whatever you want to call that person to be able to use their skills in different locations throughout the business to make sure the business is successful. Now, do you think that's tainted by the idea of what the assembly line of our manufacturing used to have, where the idea is you could take that cog or that 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 that, that part of the finished good and put it onto the machine in different locations. And we're trying to put something that is a is a uh, what is what's the term a knowledge worker in the point of when you can put in a cog? Does that does that make sense? Did, did that make I make a couple too I many think, jumps, sir?
2: No, I think I hear what you're saying. Uh, I'll repeat it back: that uh, you're saying like, is this really a function of a bad metaphorical leap from the kind of command or like not the command line <laughs> through uh, the production line of a car to yeah. software? And knowledge work like is is it just a gap there or is there something else going on
1: exactly yes exactly exactly yeah,
2: yeah i, I do, feel yeah. like there
1: is i
2: feel like there oh, is Paul, oh, i felt like you were gonna jump in i've got yeah. thoughts of course i,
1: I do have
0: thoughts <laughs> I, I will try and keep these ones brief um but i think in a way yes but i think it's more about low trust work environments right so cool. you have what are the th- what are the three Ooh. cultures? You've got pathological, you've got um,
1: even Startup. worse
0: than pathological, <laughs> and then you've got like productive. I can't remember this.
2: Oh, startups can be p- pathological. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. There's like three. There's like three culture types, which I can't remember the actual official ones.
1: DevOps, DevSecOps. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so, so De- much. DevBiz ML
2: Ops <laughs> sec. Did I get the dart in there? Sorry. I had to. I
1: had to. <laughs> Falls
2: visibly angry.
0: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not angry. Uh, much.
2: <laughs> Continue. You were. You were trying no, to. no. I think. Point I think that.
0: Culture. That was. I wanted to keep it short and then throw it to you because I think you were probably in the same kind of area of what you were thinking.
2: Yeah. You know. I think it's like. a a lossy attempt at understanding what was happening on the assembly line because in our modern idea of it you're like oh you know they mastered that back then so we can apply it now and somebody in this part of the assembly line can go to that part um but like that's not the takeaway i have from the toyota kata or or any of the work of deming it's like building a utility uh like a, a a functional supply chain doesn't mean each part of the supply chain is interchangeable. Uh, that actually doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't put a cog that fits in part five in part three, because right. th- there's a dependency yeah. order in exactly. um, the people like, and let's not forget, like, we're not just messing with the cogs. We're, we're really messing with the people that make the cogs right. and you can be really good at making a certain type of cog and absolutely terrible at making another kind. Kind of yeah, tag I, I tag in that's different models of that that I really appreciate
0: actually a really good point that you just kind of made, which is like there's not really any such thing as a general purpose cog. Like literally no. every cog is like super specific to perform a very specific function and you join different cogs together to like create a machine that's like way bigger and way more powerful than the sum of the parts. yeah. I mean, mean,
2: even when you look at wedges, which are one of the simplest machines we have as human beings, like they're pretty complex, like and the exact angle and, and material you're using to make them can be complex. If you take a step back and appreciate the complexity, you know, fast forward to software where we're, we're, we're creating these acyclical graphs of dependencies across billions of lines of code that Mm -hmm. were made over the last 70 years. Uh, to varying degrees of update uh, <laughs> and you're like go have a ball like go be good at that um, yeah no it's 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 insane amounts of complexity but that also that that's something no one wants to hear either because that's right. a pretty you know naive excuse of why we can't change
0: yeah and like microservices aren't, aren't like we're not saying they're a bad thing oh, but God, like no. with, with everything else you've got to do these things with like deliberation and thought like everyone has to have a good idea of where their piece fits into the system, right? And you also need people that are experts in the system that can help eliminate waste, right? Because if no one Mm -hmm. else knows what the rest of the system does, you end up just duplicating what other people have done, right? You reduplicate other parts of the software because you don't even know they're Mm -hmm. there. And Mm -hmm. so you do need, and this is where, like, yeah, I guess your enterprise architecture type person comes in. Um, You need those folks to ensure that each like microservice or each piece that comes together to form the greater piece of software is doing so in a sensible and mindful way. Uh, And that, I feel that's where, that's one of the things that a lot of people, a lot of organizations don't do well is really shepherd like the, the larger product at the end, because they're so busy, like focused in at the individual, like, you know, scrum teams or the individual, like whatever, however you're breaking it down. Um, and just a quick jump back to what I was just talking about, cultures. So I was trying to remember the, it was like the Westrom's, uh three types of cultures and it was pathological, bureaucratic and generative.
1: I thought it was Westy 12, Westy <laughs> eight. Hey, that's come West, on. That's West betler and sir. <laughs> uh,
0: and I would bet you that all three of us have worked absolutely in a pathological and, bureau- and or bureaucratic organization. And probably still do. And we may have been lucky enough to work in a generative one.
2: Yeah. I can I can I would say a
0: lot of folks have not properly experienced like a generative culture.
2: Yeah. I'm like fewer than three years out of twelve in corporate IT. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And and (laughs) I don't think they're like hard and fast. There's definitely like it's, you know, kind of a spectrum thing. And like you can have generative components in a pathological culture and stuff. Uh, but it is an interesting way to like frame like the place you're working at. And the other thing is, like, if you know the company you work for has a pathological culture, you can then use that to your advantage, right? Yeah. So knowing more about your culture and the company is really good for your career. Um, now, you don't want your pathological culture to turn you into a pathological human being right? Yeah. So if you're the kind of person that sort of absorbs the culture of the company you work at, that can be really, really dangerous. But if you're not that, and you can figure out how to work the culture, it can be great.
2: There, there's a phrase that I really enjoy uh, about that, that's, um, we all drink what we swim in, that ultimately, yeah. we're, we're all fish floating in something, and whatever we're floating in, whether it's, by the definition of unconscious, we, we will absorb that. We will end up drinking that in. So I will say no matter how mentally tough you are, maybe you can survive in any of those spaces and thrive mm. for a while. But uh, but don't pretend that it's not affecting you outside of work. Sure. We, we all bring that stuff home. Um, but great breakdown and, uh, and fascinatingly applies well to the thought from JJ on Conway's Law all the way through to uh, this great use of nihilism in a tech title that made me really Wait, happy so did we did we
0: actually resolve what your we did yeah. yes okay yeah yeah
2: absolutely yeah we it. i think we this
0: was we, fun were we like halfway there did we get close when when i realized that it was wolf in sheep's clothing
2: yeah no as soon as you hit that i think it clicked for you yeah. and jj was still playing he landed on the network thing which you know what's microservices without networking problems True. Oh, there is no networking in microservices. That's someone
0: else's problem.
1: <laughs> it's all a flat network. Nobody cares. That's what Kubernetes <laughs> does. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, so actually,
0: I, I was having a discussion with a really smart developer friend of mine the other day. Like, I'd been helping him do some Kubernetes stuff and kind of learn some of the basics.
1: Well, I know we and were he, talking the other day.
0: And he started asking questions about, well, if you have these, like, backing services, like databases and message queues, and you're doing CI/CD and you're doing GitOps... Like, wh- where are those backing services getting installed and who's managing them? And I'm like, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> and if you're part of like the, the you know, the 12-factor like cult, you're like someone
1: else. Yep. yep. It's, it's just an API endpoint. <laughs> that's all it is. But at the yeah. end of the day,
0: someone's got to run that API endpoint and sometimes it is you.
1: Yeah, it's true. That is true. Huh? Um, all right, gentlemen. I feel like we're pretty much at a good spot here. Do we want to say goodbye or any final thoughts? I feel like we actually put together a relatively good podcast today. Just saying, There you
2: are breaking the fifth screen again. Stop, yeah, stop You're breaking the news. screens, JJ. Just, to, just be in, just swim in this with us. Oh. <laughs> cool. So, yes, yes to bringing back the whatever you call this segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, buried the meme. Buried the meme. Buried the meme. And then we. We have we have to find a witty name by next episode. Let's find a witty name for whatever we do when we talk about food very poorly. And and Paul explains. Maybe it's just called Paul explains. Oh, it's what? I, seems Paul,
1: Paul, Paul, Paul explains. Ex, Paul explaining. Paul explaining. <laughs> <It's full planning.
2: laughs> oh, oh, we're done here. This is perfect. Yep. Good to see you too. <laughs> All
1: right, guys. Bye, Bye guys.